Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Our Prayer. We want to start this new year on our knees in prayer, asking the Lord to shape our church and transform our community by the gospel. May this revival be marked by a biblical understanding of the image of God in men and women and racial reconciliation amongst the body of Christ, transcending and restoring our culture. Today, our scripture reading will be uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Um, in your the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 837. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Um, so starting in verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Thanks be to God. And so today, uh, we are honored to have my friend uh, David Bailey with us, proclaiming the word. Um, David is married to his wife, Joy, and is the founder and CEO of Arabon, which is a, a nonprofit ministry um, whose mission is to cultivate Christian communities to pursue healing and reconciliation in a racially divided world. Arabon's music ministry is Urban Doxology, of which I was actually a songwriting intern back in 2018, uh, writing worship music in Church Hill over in Richmond. Uh, that was a foundational summer for me, um, and it was my mentor in the program, Elena, that first connected me with Pastor Carl. Um, so in a roundabout way, David uh, is to thank for me even being here. Um, so give the Lord a hand for David today as he comes up to share the word with us. So good to be here with you all. Um, really uh, love uh, this church. I grew up in the Meadowbrook area, so I'm really familiar with. Um, I graduated from Meadowbrook um, in 1999. Um, it was a nice little song about that by a guy named Prince. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we're really glad to see what God is doing here. I'm really glad to be able to. I would have never thought. Almost 20 years ago, I'll be here preaching the word uh, with you all. Um, I come from a preaching background where preaching is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And so um, it helps the sermons to be a lot shorter. So, you know, if y'all could just give a little bit of, little bit of feedback, you know, as we, we go. And, and as uh, said in the introduction, that uh, I lead a ministry called Arabon. The word Arabon means a foretaste of things to come. Uh, the way it's used in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit was given to the church as a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Well, here's the thing. The world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. In so many ways, we're supposed to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. And so there should be people 
who are different economically, uh, people who are different racially, people who are even different politically, together being family. And so no matter what it is that you um, are coming from, where we learn how to be family together to say there's unity and diversity for the glory of God. And so, you know, here's the thing. I, um, you know, we've been going through a really hard time over the last couple of years. I mean, we had the pandemic. We had a lot of racial people. We had all kinds of stuff. But I know one thing. A lot of you parents have probably had a lot of uh, difficulties having to be homeschool parents, um, some by choice and others by force, you know. And, and so I know there was this parent that, like, they would try to keep these rituals and this one family had this ritual where they would uh, eat pancakes every Saturday. Every Saturday, they would eat pancakes together. And uh, at this, uh, uh, what they would do is that Johnny and Timmy, these two brothers, um, they had a rule in the household where whoever ate pancakes, got pancakes served first the previous week, they got pancakes first the next week. So being brothers like they are, Timmy and Johnny started to kind of fight. He says, no, you had pancakes first last week. He said, no, you had pancakes first last week. It's my turn to get pancakes first. And the mom, being the nice Christian mother that she is, she said, this is a great opportunity for discipleship. So what she says, she tells her boys, she says, hey, boys, if you want to be like Jesus, what you want to do is you want to let your brother get served pancakes first. So then Jimmy turned to Timmy and said, how about you be Jesus first this week? (laughs) Would you turn to your name and say, how about you be Jesus first this week? Don't we always want the other person to be like Jesus first? Even if they don't even necessarily follow Jesus, we want other people to be like Jesus first. But really, we should be the ones that are like Jesus. And I, I want to read this text by this cultural critic uh, that said this. He said, but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Has anybody noticed that? You know, anybody have an idea who said that? It was actually Dr. Martin Luther King who said this in his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail. So this was said over 50 plus years ago. And this is something that you could have thought was said last week. And this recapturing of the early church is really a recapturing of something that everybody we call being a reconciling community. See, brothers and sisters, because of the fall, because of human nature, uh, uh, we, we naturally have an area of brokenness, but not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another and our relationship with all of creation. And so God has been in this work of reconciling and bringing all things together. And this was something that was captured in the spirit of the early church. And, and this is what we're going to read in our text today. It says in Acts 2, I mean, Acts 2 um, says, They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers came together, were together, and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to that number daily those who were being saved. You know, under this particular text, you know, there are three themes that I see here. That one is they were faithful fanatics, they were fearless freedom fighters, and they were focused family members. Could you say that with me? They were faithful fanatics. They were fearless freedom fighters, and they were focused family members. All right, say it like you mean it. They were faithful fanatics, fearless freedom fighters, and focused family members. Now, see, here's this thing. Like, you know, how many people are uh, faithful fanatics of football? Any football fans out there? Y'all aren't fans. I mean, I would have heard some noise off of that. Like, (laughs) who's going to win the Super Bowl? See, all right, see, you know, we got some faith for that. You might have some people that might be basketball fans, right? Uh, uh, or even any golf fanatics. I've become a golf fanatic in the last three years. All right, if, we'll talk after church, brother. So, like, you know, but see, when you are a faithful fanatic, you orient your life around trying to make sure that you are there for your sports team. You are there for your team to cheer on and make sure you're there. Now, I realize everybody's not in the sports you know, some people might be into, uh, like, a TV show. Anybody familiar with this TV show, Gilmore Girls? Like, like remember, I, I remember, like, when uh, Gilmore Girls went off season for a really long time, and then all of a sudden Netflix had the special, and they had, like, all these folks came together. They said, I got to find out what Rory is up to. <laughs> now, you know, when you're a faith fanatic of TV shows, you orient around. And I, I remember some folks were like, you know, I'm a Christian, so I don't know anything about this, 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 uh, <laughs> this one, but this show, Game of Thrones, you know, there are people that have been faithful fanatics of watching Game of Thrones. They said, I've never seen the episode, but folks say, David, it's like, you probably should never watch it right before you, like, preach a sermon, but I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't watch it at all, but, but, you know, people would orient themselves around catching out the Game of Thrones. Well, here's the question. What are Christians in the United States known for being faithful fanatics of? See, according to David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons in their book, Unchristian, it says that Christians in America are known for being faithful fanatics of one, conservative politics, and two, what they're against versus what they're for. But the question is, why aren't we known as being faithful fanatics of Jesus? See, this is the thing that the early church was. They were faithful fanatics of Jesus. There wasn't a question about who their loyalty was. And the way that you know that you're being a faithful fanatic of Jesus is that you're giving over to the word of God, that you are spending time in prayer, that you are worshiping God, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. See, this is something that that we have to, there is no way of change or revival that can happen in our our cities, in our our communities, in our country without people being faithful fanatics of Jesus. And see, brothers and sisters, this is the start. 
We have to move beyond thinking that we can get salvation through politics. Salvation comes through the way of Jesus. And so this is what we have to know that we're faithful fanatics of Jesus. And so this is what they did in the early church. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's to the scripture. To prayer. To fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, they were faith fanatics of Jesus. Because they were faith fanatics of Jesus, they also were, they became fearless freedom fighters. See, when Jesus becomes so real that, that death doesn't really bother you, then, then it's amazing the things that, that God can use you to do. It says that they, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, what's really important for us to do, particularly when we look at the scriptures, is not to impose our 21st century context into our first century context or whatever period of time is in the, in that, in the, in the Bible. So, so in the first century, like, like, you know, if, if I wanted to like sell my house, I could sell my house to Carl, or I could buy Carl's house from him, and, 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 and it, there's a real estate industry that helps make all that stuff happen. But in the first century church, in the first century of Rome, they didn't have that going on. If you had property, that was basically like the equivalent of like having a 401k or a retirement plan. You were like set for the rest of your life. You were in a really secure space. And so what a contextual equivalent of this would be is that it's like they emptied out their retirement account because they saw that they were brothers and sisters who did not have what they needed for basic survival. I knew I wasn't going to get a whole lot of amens on that one, but I'm just trying to say is that like these brothers and sisters had a lot of uh, a deep conviction that Jesus was so much and that their brothers and sisters and their family was so significant that they were willing to sacrifice in a fearless way so that the other brothers and sisters could have a little bit of freedom here on earth. They were fearless freedom fighters. And, and so, you know, like, what does that look like today? I, I want to give you a couple examples of some people who, who, who did some fearless freedom fighting. You know, one of it is, I know a friend of mine who um, I ended up getting invited to go on this plantation. And on this plantation, I generally don't spend a whole lot of time on plantation. My wife and I got invited, but what the case was, we were down in South Carolina on this plantation, and <clears throat> there was this, this uh, friend of mine who inherited a quarter of a million dollars just because she was somebody's granddaughter. And she was just come like reading the scripture and just said, hey, there are people in our community, and we, we live in Churchill together, and uh, she says, you know, their folks, because of who their parents were, inherited a lot of problems. Or because of the color of their skin, um, the, maybe some of their property got seized, or, or, or the value of the land in this particular area was challenged, and they didn't have the ability to be able to navigate to obtain wealth in the same way that my family was able to, to navigate wealth. And so because I want to be a, a fearless freedom fighter as I, a faithful fanatic of Jesus, I would love to give my inheritance to a community of folks to say, like, hey, how can I help to engage with some wealth building to break some of these, these curses that have come 
as a result of stuff that I haven't had anything to do with and they haven't had anything to do with. And so they invited my wife and I and two other families to be the folks to kind of say, like, hey, can you uh, take this uh, quarter of a million dollars and try to develop a system to be able to give, to provide opportunities for other folks? I'll tell you about another guy named Don Flo. Don Flo's down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He knew that he was going to take over his dad's uh, car business. His dad uh, sold cars, had like a Volkswagen dealership in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so uh, what he did, he went to the University of Virginia and went to business school. And so he said, say, Dad, let me go to business school. When I come back, what I would like to do is I would like to work every single position in the company. And I would like to get paid what they get paid. Because I want to kind of do like Jesus did and kind of walk people's shoes and, and do this incarnational kind of way. So so he was the janitor. He was the secretary. He was the mechanic, and he's not mechanically oriented. And he was, and he was like the uh, supervisor. And he became, worked through every single position. And then he said, after that, I would like to go to seminary, and I would like to get the same theological education as a pastor does, because I want to apply my theological education to how I run the business. And so let me tell you about how I met him the first time. A friend of mine said, hey, David, I'm about to meet this, this guy. And he said um, he spends like a day, um, um, you know, just with different folks. And you want to kind of come and meet this business guy? That, and I said, yeah, sure. And so he, he sent this private plane. And, um, and we rode, took a 40-minute trip on a private plane from Richmond to Winston-Salem, spent a day with him. Let's just say he's doing pretty well. Now, let me tell you how he does his business, and this is some of the kingdom-oriented stuff. He based, like this is almost 34 years ago, he based his car sales practices off the most vulnerable people that show up on the car, car lot. It would be that single minority woman who maybe not know, know that much about auto mechanics, oftentimes would pay the most amount of prices. So he says, hey, we want our policies to work for her. And then he also made his compensation policies based off of if anybody makes $70,000 or less, they get the most amount of benefits. The more, you, the more money you make in the company, the less amount of benefits you have, and you just need to manage your money better. Now, I don't know if y'all know the way a lot of corporations in America work, but the more money you have, the more benefits you have, the higher you go up. And so he did all this stuff out of like a kingdom orientation, and this is a $2 billion company with 2,000 employees because this brother is a fearless freedom fighter. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the last story I'll tell you about is um, my friends Oye and Chris Waddell. They don't look like that. They're actually African-American. They, <laughs> they grew up in Los Angeles. <clears throat> they grew up in Los Angeles. And, um, and they grew up in the hood of Los Angeles. And they saw that these guys on the street corner had the aptitude. They were like running little mini corporations. These gangs were like little mini corporations. And they realized these were really smart guys, but they just didn't have the same kind of opportunities that maybe some of us who maybe grew up in a middle class 
kind of context or above got a chance to do. And so what they did is they started this company, this, this, this nonprofit called Hustle Phoenix, where they engaged in redemptive hustling, where they said like, hey, these folks know how to hustle in the street. And these are like actual really good skills. What if we take these skills and help them to be able to hustle not only uh, uh, in, in a good way, but then they also take it as a form of discipleship and they say like, hey, what if we actually help them even do, do some business hustling for Jesus? And so they, they, they moved to Phoenix and they have this, this nonprofit called Hustle Phoenix. And they are fearless freedom fighters engaging. And why does this happen? It happens, this kind of innovation happens when we realize that because we're faithful and active Jesus, we don't have to be fearful of the things that we lose because what we lose for the kingdom, we gain a whole lot more. What we do for Jesus, like if death is the last thing that, ha- that happens for us, then that is gain for us because we get a chance to be with our Savior in the kingdom of God. And so what is there to lose? And then it also helps you to realize that our family membership changes. This is the first time I ever was in a worship service. Like I didn't grow up in a, 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 a church where people um, played the harmonica. It just, I just, it just, it was a very different experience for me. But you're my brother. I grew up in a kind of B3 organ, you know, people jumping off the chandeliers, kind of like context, you know. But when when your family gets redefined, you become focused family. It says every day they continue to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread and their homes ate together with gladness to see their hearts praising God and enjoying favor with all of the people. Not just some of the people, not just the people that voted like them, not just the folks that had the same social economics as them, not just the ones that have the same social, racial, ethnic uh, um, identity as them, but all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, now here's the thing that, like, particularly in Acts 2, if you, uh, um, to, to really... It really understand this, it's really important to understand what the, what the context of Pentecost is about. Because this is like so profound, because what happened um, in, in, in Acts 1 and 8, um, Jesus came back after the resurrection, disciples were there, they were waiting for a Messiah, and, and you remember that like the Israel was kind of like the way that like black folks were during the um, uh, Jim Crow era, or or like uh, like like uh, black folks were in in, uh, in South Africa during apartheid. They were like these second class citizens, and they were in this land that was promised to them um, by Abraham. And uh, the Roman citizens were were in charge, and so the disciples knew that the Messiah was supposed to kind of set things back the way that they were uh, uh, um, promised to them since the very beginning. And, and they came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, when are you going to make Israel great again? Some people get that on the way home. And so, so, so Jesus said, hey, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not for you to know, like, like you're asking the wrong question. Yes, your people are my people, but your people are my only people. And you're only thinking about your people. You're not thinking about everybody. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you power. You just go to Jerusalem and y'all spend some time praying. And I'm going to give you power to, 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 to uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world, to receive and inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and I'm going to do something. And so they were there praying. 
And then as they were praying, the Spirit of God began to come upon there. And see, Luke was writing and he said, like, hey, here are all the different types of nations and places that people are coming from. Well, these nations, like from Africa and from Asia and from, 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 from Europe and, and from the Middle East, and all of these places were the same places that in Genesis 10, when they talked about the table of nations right before the Tower of Babel, they were the same countries that were articulated there. What happened in Babel? Folks came together, all these different ethnicities, and they said, hey, let us use our unity to, to, to be like God and to have the same kind of power that God has for our glory. What happened at Pentecost? And so, so what happened, in, so what happened in, 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 in Babel is that God took those languages and spread them out and, and confused the language, and they gave every ethnicity their own language, and so they divided and spread out. But what happened at Pentecost is that when the Holy Spirit came, all these different nations were there, and they spoke different languages, but yet they were able to understand, that, speak their own language, yet understand one another for the glory of God. See, brothers and sisters, what happened was the Holy Spirit brought unity and diversity instead of unity through assimilation. See, when we have the power of God operating in our community, we don't have to assimilate into other people's dominant culture. What we can do is we can be who we are and have unity and diversity. And that points to the, the, the working and the power of the Holy Spirit. A friend of mine kind of said it this way, that you have the most interesting retort in this world. It was so bizarre that, that in, uh, 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 when, when, when the people from that, that saw what was going on at Pentecost, he said, I can't believe what's going on here. Like, these people are speaking different languages, yet understanding one another, talking about Jesus and his unity and diversity. The only explanation is that they're drunk. And then Peter gets up and says, oh, no, we're not drunk. We just, um, it's not even happy hour yet, you know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> It was really the spirit of God being at work because they were focused family members out of the spirit. So you might ask this question, okay, what, Dave, what does it really look like for us to be a reconciling community in the 21st century? And like if we pursue on this, 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 this direction. And I just want to close with my story with my friend, um, my friend um, Chris Lee. He, Chris uh, and I went to college together at VCU. And um, he ended up going um, to the military and ended up meeting this really uh, great woman by the name of Kim Lee. They actually um, like met and like fell in love and got married within like months. You know, people highly don't recommend that, but they are still married to this day. But Kim was an immigrant who um, came to the United States when she was 10 years old. And Chris was from um, Tidewater area in Virginia. And so they met, they fell in love. And um, Kim was saying, hey, I, I met this guy. He's really amazing. He's in uh, South Carolina. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's from uh, the Tidewater area. But, um, and her family was in South Korea. And she said, hey, I met this guy. And uh, his name is Chris Lee. And they were like, oh, you're marrying the Lee. That's great. That's great. <laughs> And so when they saw the picture of him, they were like, 
he's no Lee, he's no Lee. <laughs> See, what happened was they had their own different definitions of what Lee meant. And so many times, because of our own cultural biases, we all have our own differences of what it means. But then when you kind of covenant, you become family, you learn how to speak one another's language. You learn how to not dominate in your own particular culture, and you end up having a hybrid culture. And this is like what the fruit of their union is. So what is the point of my sermon? It's to make babies. That's what it is. Like, <laughs> you know, so you can bring it to a close. We, we need to be a reconciling community. It, it is a rough road. It has its own set of challenges. It has its own set of things that, that we're going to have our different definition of what Lee looks like. We're going to need the room for reconciliation to happen. It's going to be pl- like diversity doesn't guarantee reconciliation. Diversity guarantees conflict. But when you have the practice of reconciliation, you can be more of a reconciling community. And as you become a reconciling community, you will see fruit that you can't control, but is so beautiful. So what I want to encourage you all to do, brothers and sisters, particularly here, I mean, and, and I mean, when I, when I was going to Meadowbrook, it was the most diverse school at the time, and now it's become a predominant Hispanic community. And so even like English can't be the centrality of this community. Like, what does it look like to be hospitable in that way? What does it look like to be a place where both the poor and the rich and the middle class and the working class are in the same community together for the glory of God? So I just want to encourage you to pursue what does it look like for us to be a reconciling community in the spirit of Acts 2. Let us pray. Well, I just am so thankful for what you're doing here and how you're revitalizing this church. And there's been renovations in the aesthetics here, but there's also renovations of the heart that is happening. There's renovations of vision that is happening. And I do pray, Lord, that one of the rooms that you put in this renovation that you do in the spirit. It's this desire and this vision and this practice of being a re- becoming a reconciling community. But I do pray when conflict happens that people don't dismiss it as the enemy or that they won't, uh, when conflict happens, they won't like see it as something to avoid. But they will see it as like an opportunity for transformation, to be more like Jesus, to to learn how to love their neighbor as themselves, to to, to self-examine and to to see how you can be glorified in in the conflicts and the differences that come up. And Lord, as they work through, we pray for fruit. Pray for kingdom fruit. We pray for for people who should not be together by the world's standards to be together as family for the glory of God. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the God's people say, Amen.
Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.